Our reading this evening is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, from verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with the sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. This is the word of God. Well, good evening again. It is really a great joy and uh, a great privilege to open God's Word uh, with you uh, this evening. This church uh, has been, and I pray will always be very central to the ministry of commission. And as I say, particularly in raising up uh, leaders, uh, we need this church and uh, we greatly appreciate all that you do for uh, the network. Perhaps I may just begin again with prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that your spirit continues to speak to us today through the words of the Bible. We thank you that here in this book we have everything we need to know from you for salvation and holiness. So we pray that whether we're new to Christian things and find it rather strange and weird or have been following you for a very long time, we pray you'd help us to concentrate, help us to understand what you're saying in these verses and please help us to respond. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an amazing book. All I want to do this evening is to persuade you to read it and to live by it. As we've already heard, commissioned churches do live by the word of God because the spirit of the living God gives and governs new life through his word. And so the word of God, the Bible, is the pumping heart that empowers and guides our lives and churches. Indeed, our name, commission, comes from the great commission of Jesus in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations, where Jesus insists that we do it, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so commission is a family of churches multiplying a biblical ministry DNA. We are a network of churches sharing resources for biblical ministries. We are a movement driven and directed by the Bible And so our Commission Sunday, 2018, across all our churches, 
is focused upon sharing our commitment to live by the word of God. It's the title of the um, articles thing. I do commend it to you. Some great articles, not least by Phil. An excellent opening article from Phil. Do read uh, this thing, or indeed read it online. It's available there and pursue all that you, you read there. For in our increasingly secular culture, where atheists strive to shrink faith into a tiny space called private opinion, and so people know almost nothing about the Bible. I was sitting on a train just a few weeks ago, uh, opposite a student, very pleasant uh, girl, we started chatting, and she said, that's a fat book you're studying. It was my Bible. So I said, yeah, have you, have you ever read about Jesus in it? She said, no, I've never heard of it. A student at a university didn't know anything at all about the Bible. There's a guy working on our kitchen recently. I said, have you ever read anything for the Bible about Jesus? He said, no, I don't know anything about it. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Intelligent Londoners, lived here for years, know nothing about Jesus. And of course, in our culture where personal authority is preferred to divine authority, some scholars have attacked confidence in the Bible by arguing that the, the idea of biblical authority, a book to be obeyed and lived by, is a relatively recent idea. And so we need our confidence in the Bible strengthened. And there's been a flood of excellent uh, scholarship amongst uh, Bible-believing people in recent years, demonstrating a compelling commitment to the authority of the Bible in every generation and every culture of Christians. Christians have always believed that the Bible is the word of God. Perhaps the best uh, popular book out at the moment, which I would do want to commend to you, is uh, Kevin DeYoung's book, book, Taking God at His Word. Uh, Kevin DeYoung will be coming to speak at Revive in uh, 2019, God willing. Um, But do read this book. It's an excellent and simple introduction to the glorious attributes of the Bible, taking God at his word. But better still is coming to hear the Bible taught every week. No doubt you experience it here at Christchurch Mayfair, as across all the commission churches, in four ways. A bit like the four legs of your chair that hold you up. Uh, That is through the sermons on Sunday and the midweek small group discussions uh, and the one-to-one discipleship that you have where somebody you share the Bible with somebody and in your own private devotions. Whereas as a family or reading your your, uh, Bible app on your phone, uh, however that is. Those four ways hold us up and make the Bible a foundation of everything that we do. So that we build our lives on it, like building on a rock that remains stable through all the storms of life. And when we rehearse our commission aim to assist in evangelizing London by planting and strengthening 360 diverse reformed evangelical churches for the salvation of many to the glory of God, perhaps you want to know that our constitution insists that these churches are Bible churches, committed to the four great attributes of the Bible. Firstly, that it's necessary, the necessity of Scripture. It's helpful for those who don't believe in God to know why they don't believe in God. Uh, And that is, you see, that we suppress the knowledge of God in creation, but God has graciously, kindly revealed himself in Christ, fully known in Christ, and Christ is fully revealed to us in the Bible. And therefore the Bible is necessary, and you can't know God unless you know him from the Bible. It's necessary. Secondly, the clarity of Scripture That's helpful for any of us caught up in postmodern confusion about interpretation. While some parts of the Bible are difficult for us to understand, the Bible itself is clear and consistent, and all the important doctrines can be plainly understood from somewhere in the Bible by careful, ordinary Christians, without needing special decoding from some church authority. 
because the Bible is perspicuous or clear. It can be understood by ordinary believers like you and me. Necessity, clarity, thirdly, authority. The authority of Scripture, which is important for all who are tempted by liberal thinking to ignore personally inconvenient or culturally unpopular passages. Because God exercises his personal authority through his words. And so they must be decisive over all novel or rebellious human ideas, whether they come from church councils or from atheistic scientists or godless celebrities. The Bible has authority over everything else. And fourthly, sufficiency of Scripture. Necessity, clarity, authority, sufficiency. That is to say, the Bible is everything we need to know from God. Helpful for Christians tempted to look elsewhere for more, more immediate revelations of, in dreams or pictures or whatever. The Bible says of itself that it has everything we need to know from God for salvation and holiness. Because Christ, you see, is the final work and final word of God for salvation, and since Christ is only known through the Scriptures, we can only know God, but we can know him fully through the Bible. It has everything that we need. I've sometimes thought it's helpful to say that the Bible is a bit like a photograph. Now, forgive me, I'm not a scientist, I really have absolutely no clue about these things, but if I take a photograph of Phil, and, uh, you know, I get him into, in, let's assume I take a good colour photograph of Phil, and I print the photograph. Then he is completely in the photograph. Now, if you blow that photograph up, you'll find that there are dots, uh, colour dots, I believe. I, I don't know, please forgive me, the tele- technology's moved on. Right, 30 years ago, when I first understood photographs, okay, there were dots as you blew up the photograph, and there were gaps between the dots, okay? But then you look at the photograph, and you can see the whole of Phil in the photograph. That's who he is. The Bible is like that. A complete picture of God in Christ. Now when we get to heaven, that is to say when we meet him face to face, we'll see the missing bits between the dots. But it's not that we're going to discover in heaven that there are large parts about God we didn't know about. That he's something completely different to what we thought from the Bible. That somehow actually he's really angry with everybody on Monday and he's not love at all on Tuesday. You know, we're not going to discover that he's different from how he is revealed to us in Christ. God is genuinely shown to us in Christ, and Christ is genuinely shown to us in the Bible. And when we get to heaven, we'll find that it's even more as we see he is in the pages of Scripture. We have a full picture of God because we have a full picture of Christ in the Bible, and that's why it's sufficient for all our needs. Necessity, clarity, authority, sufficiency. And perhaps the most famous passage where God describes the sufficiency of his own word is this famous passage that was just read to us from 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul's second and final letter to his beloved younger colleague, Timothy. Now, just before uh, we draw some important general conclusions from the passage, it's helpful to consider 2 Timothy. Uh, this letter is the wider context of, those, of these verses. Paul was writing from a cold prison cell. Uh, we learn this from the letter, probably in Rome about 67 AD. He's clearly aware that he'll soon be executed for preaching the gospel. And he writes with great urgency to Timothy. Timothy was once his ministry trainee, if you like. He's now senior pastor of a significant city centre church in the regional capital of Ephesus in what is now Western Turkey. And Paul writes to urge him to keep teaching the Bible. Paul is concerned for the continuation of gospel ministry after he's gone. And as he builds towards his final charge in chapter 4, verse 2, the kind of the, the, the sort of punchline of the whole letter, preach the word, 
Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, whether or not it's convenient to you and whether or not it's popular with your hearers, you make sure you preach the Bible. Preach the word. He's urging Timothy to follow his own pattern of ministry despite inevitable opposition. But he builds up to it, starting with verse 14, which is why we read from it. Can you see that on verse 14? But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. In other words, both from those who have influenced you, like your mother and grandmother, and Paul himself, but also from the Bible. You know the Bible that you've been taught. And so he launches this majestic description of the Bible to commend the Bible as the sufficient resource that Timothy will need in the challenging role of being a church leader, of dealing with false teachers and worldliness within the church, of dealing with unbelief and hostility outside the church, all of which you will face here in this church. All of our churches will. This is a particularly important passage then for the staff and elders and small group leaders of Christ Church Mayfair and the leaders of all the commissioned churches, encouraging us all to recognize that the Bible is the Swiss Army knife. You know a Swiss Army knife? Swiss Army knife, you know, one of those, one of those kind of little great big fat red knives with a white cross on it, you know, and, and you open it up and it's got 75 different blades, you know, it's fantastic, you know, it's got, it's got everything you could possibly need, you know, it's got sort of magnifying glass and it's got several pairs of scissors and it, and, you know, can, it can get stones out of horses' hooves. I mean, how amazing that is in a pen knife and it can do everything you could possibly, it's even got kind of like, like a, a sewing kit in this knife. You know, the Swiss Army knife was invented to be everything a soldier could possibly need. And the Bible's like that. If you're a leader, if you aspire to be a leader, if you ever pray for your leaders, pray that they will continue to believe that the Bible is everything they need. Other things are helpful. Strategy, money, gifts, people, buildings are helpful. But most of those things we didn't have when we started. Because the real thing, the resources, the Swiss Army knife, is the Bible. And that's what the Apostle Paul is commending to his younger colleague. You see, there are millions of books to read. Most of them are available online now. But we've only got limited time. So as we're about to dive into the passage, when you're choosing a book to read, you normally ask, well, what's it about? Is the subject important? Who's it by? Is the author reliable? And what's it for? What benefit will I gain? I haven't got much time. Can't read loads of books. Can't read all the books. I've got, I've got to select top books, the best books to read. I've just chosen a mystery thriller called Origin, the fifth in the Robert Langdon series, to read before I go to sleep. What's it about? It's about conspiracy of world religions. But I thought that'd be interesting. As a pastor, I should read about, you know, a novel about conspiracy world religions. Who's it by? Well, Dan Brown, he's a best-selling and influential atheist. So I thought, it'd be interesting to see what he's writing about. What's it for? Well, it's for illustrations for sermons and to help me get to sleep. <laughs> so that's why I'm going to read Dan Brown's book, Origin. I got sorted that out. Can't read all the others, sorry. Haven't got time for the others. Just going to read that one. Now, Paul tells us, why Timothy, then, pastors, now, all of us who share in gospel ministry, any of us who want to be useful in the ministry of the gospel, in fact, all of us, why we should read the Bible. 
because it's the resource we need, because of the priority of its subject, the priority of the subject about salvation, the authority of its author, God himself, and the benefits of its teaching, good works. Let me read again what it says. I've lost my uh, passage here. From 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Three simple points then. Firstly, the Bible is about salvation. That makes it our priority. Able to make you wise for salvation, verse 15. There are many things the Bible won't make you wise for. It won't particularly help you fix your car. It may help you in the way in which you fix the car with grace and patience. But it won't actually tell you what the, where the spark plugs are. They don't actually have spark plugs anymore, do they? I don't know. The Bible may not help you fix the car, but it will tell you everything you need to know about the most important thing in life, which is salvation. Nothing is more important than salvation from the horrors of hell for the happiness of heaven with Jesus forever. It's the most important book in the world because it tells you about salvation. It is an extraordinary thing. It's the same in our church at Dundonald Church down in southwest London as I imagine it is here. Midweek of an evening, you'll come along and you'll see hundreds of young people who've got lots of friends and contacts gathered in little groups around tables studying the Bible. Why on earth would you do that? This book is 2,000 years old. I mean, can you imagine hundreds of young people in London, you know, who've got better things to do, studying Caesar's Gallic War? I mean, why would you bother? Because this isn't like other books. In some ways it is, but in many ways it's not. It's about salvation. And it's about salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, all of the Bible contributes to this primary theme. It's not that every verse is about Jesus, but every verse contributes to our understanding of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So in fact, if you come to some part of Leviticus and you don't know how it helps you understand salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, you don't yet understand it. Because the apostle is primarily speaking at this point about the scriptures. The New Testament hadn't been fully written yet. Some of it had, but not, not all of it. So he primarily has in mind this category of scriptures, that is the writings, the Old Testament, but it's a category which is gradually being filled up by the writings of the apostles. He's saying all the scriptures, the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, are about faith in Christ Jesus. The reason is that behind the many Bible writers, there's one directing author, the Spirit of God. Behind the various covenantal periods, there's one uniting history, the kingdom of God. And behind the various prophets, priests, and kings in the Bible, there's one central hero, the Son of God. It's all about one message, salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's why we need to read the Old Testament as the promise, the New Testament as the fulfillment. We read the first bits with the end in mind, we read the end with the beginning in mind. It's all of a piece. It's all about salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But beware the sin of the Pharisees. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, but you refuse to come to me to have life. 
In other words, we don't study the Bible just to study the Bible. We don't study the Bible just to learn quotes as if God is impressed. He's not. He wrote it. He knows what it says. We study the Bible to get to know faith in Christ Jesus. I went to a church recently. I went for a few weeks. And after a few weeks, I suddenly thought, every place where I would have said the word Jesus, they said the word Bible. We follow the Bible. We love the Bible. And I thought, oh my goodness, I wonder whether you actually worship the Bible. So it's not the Bible, it is salvation through faith in Christ Jesus that God makes known to us through his word. We're to love the Christ of the Bible. We love the Bible because the Bible teaches us about Christ, not because we're in love with a book. Therefore, I want to commend it to you to read it before anything else. The Bible is about salvation, so make it your priority. So when you think, when you understand that, do you understand? This is the book that tells you how to be saved for eternity, from hell for heaven forever. This book will tell you about that. That makes it the most important book you could ever read. So read it. A long time ago, um, I went parachuting. Uh, it was, I don't know, it was, it was a sort of masculine thing, you know. I don't know. I don't know what it was proving at the time. Um, anyway, I went parachuting, and I remember the bloke walked in. Honestly, he looked like the Hoff of uh, Baywatch. You don't know who I'm talking about, do you? Okay. Uh, anyway, there's this um, hunky-looking bloke. Does that connect with you? Uh, came in, and um, and he was, you know, he looked really tough and hard and everything. Anyway, he said, "The human body is a bag of blood. When it hits the ground at terminal velocity, it spreads over 100 square meters." And then walked out the room. <laughs> now you can imagine what he was doing because he then walked back in and he said, Would you like to make notes? And we all wrote back. And then he spoke about how to be safe, how to jump out of the plane, how to fly through the air, and how to land safely. I can tell you, we listened extremely carefully to every word that he said. Because it was about being safe. It was about salvation. Nothing mattered more than every word that he said. I can still remember what he said. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. I, I could still go through it now because it was about salvation. Nothing could be more important. Can I also point out to you, it wasn't just important for, for starting the journey. It wasn't just important for getting saved. It was for, important for the whole of the journey until we landed safely on the ground. And then I could forget it. You need this book in order to know how to jump out of the plane, yes, when you first become a Christian. But you also need it to understand how to try through the air and then to land safely in the new creation. This is not just a book for when you become a Christian. This is a book for every day of your Christian life because it's about salvation, so make it your priority. Pastors, read the Bible above commentaries and books about the Bible. Unbelievers, Get to read your Bible as soon as possible. Download a, a phone app. John's Gospel's good. Read John's Gospel. It'll help you even more than great books by Tim Keller. Honestly, John's Gospel, the Bible, is the most important book to read. Start with the Gospels, because they won't make much sense if you start with Leviticus. Start with the Gospels. Believers, read the Bible ahead of your newspaper and your novels, because it has eternal significance. It can save you for eternity. Okay, the Bible is about salvation, so it's our priority.
is the most important book for you to read. Secondly, the Bible is from God and therefore it's our authority. Verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. That means the Bible is from God and therefore it's our authority. Every word of the Bible comes from the mouth of God. Every proposition in the Bible is a speech act of God. Not just imparting information, but actively revealing God and redeeming us. Sharing the character of God. You see, because it's God who speaks these words, his words are an expression of himself. And therefore, just as God is living and active and powerful and real, so his words are living and active and powerful and real. Some scholars have argued that this word God breathed, which literally means ex-breathed or breathed out. Some have tried to say that it just means the Bible is merely inspiring, that it's a human production, a collection of writings, with a bit of, God, a bit of added inspirational impact from God. Okay, so it's like a uh, historic writings and God sprinkled it with a bit of inspiration. Well, God took it and, and uses it in an inspiring way in our lives. That's not what the verse says. The verse says it is God breathed out. That is to say, God is speaking the words of the Bible. As our breath carries forth our words, so the Holy Spirit breathes out the words of the whole Bible in power. So, I'm speaking now. There's hot air coming out of my mouth and it carries words. Without words, it's just breath. Without breath, it's just strangled grunts. My breath carries forth my word. And the word in the Old Testament and New Testament for breath is the word spirit. The spirit of God carries forth the word of God. Spirit speaks through the word in power to accomplish whatever he intends. And so he continually speaks and breathes out these words as we read them today. And a variety of human authors wrote documents that reveal their own culture and circumstances in various genres. There are court records and there are wise sayings and there are songs and there are prophetic visions and there are gospels and there are letters and there are apocalyptic visions. But God governed what they produced to ensure that every word is precisely as he wants it. And he speaks those words in power whenever we hear them today. That's why you can read in Hebrews, for example, quotes from Old Testament Psalms introduced as having both human and divine authors. For example, God spoke through David. The same psalm is then said, and God said. So you see, the human authors wrote... But God ensured that what they wrote is precisely what he wanted said. And God's speaking in both past and present tenses. So you'll find it says, as God has said, and that quotes from Psalm 95, but then also, as God says, as Jesus says, as the Holy Spirit says, explicitly explaining that the words from the Bible in the past are what God and his spirit and his son are saying today. You are hearing the voice of God when you are hearing the words of the scriptures. We are experiencing what God has spoken 
as the contemporary voice of his spirit today. That's why the Bible is so captivating. In the words on the page, you're actually hearing, in the meaning of those words. It's not in the verbal sound, because in French it sounds different. But in the meaning of the words, you are hearing the voice of God. So it's not that we're trying to look beyond the Bible. In other words, we're not just reading a flawed human record and trying to read between the lines to try and work out what originally happened in the events way back in history, to see what God might have done then, as liberal scholars will tell you. We're not trying to work out what might have originally happened, which is somehow different from what the text says. No, God speaks the words on the page. So we're not, as it were, looking through the Bible to try and see into the past. We're also not reading a divine code, which only popes or bishops or scholars can interpret correctly, as, for example, the Roman Catholic Catechism actually explicitly says. So it's not that we oh, I have no idea. I'll give it to you, and you tell me what it should say. Okay, it's not out there with somebody else telling us what it says. You don't just believe the teachers here. Ask them to show it to you in the Bible. And if they can't, then it's a matter of opinion. And if they can, then you must believe it. Because it's the word of God. And we're not hearing different messages in our hearts. We all value different things in the same words. There are so many things being said in any passage. But it's not that God is speaking separately to each of us in our hearts. It's not, you see, that the Bible is out there as just a sort of textbook that stimulates my own personal relationship with God. And we all have different relationships, and so he's saying different things to all of us. That's the wonder of the Bible. The Bible unites us because, actually, God speaks to us through the word. We're all hearing what he says to us in his word, the Bible. Because this is God-breathed. So we hear the spiritual voice of God and the verbal propositions of the page in all their emotional beauty and transforming power, uniting us, ruling us, in a fresh and contemporary relationship with God. If you go to a church that teaches the Bible, you have a fresh, contemporary, living relationship with the living God because the Spirit of God himself is speaking to you whenever you're listening to the Bible. He speaks through his word. We respond in words of prayer. And so correctly understood, they are utterly truthful. And because they're the words of God, they're without mistakes, they're reliable in everything they say. In other words, they're without error, or the phrase is inerrant. It's not just saying the Bible is infallible, that is, doesn't deceive, but has trivial historical mistakes. But the Bible is inerrant. You see, we, we must say that. As soon as we say the Bible is God speaking, since he speaks truthfully and the Bible is God speaking, it must be truthful and without error. It's inerrant. This is not a recent conclusion of 19th century American scholars. It's believed, been believed throughout Christian history. Now that doesn't deny literary conventions. You know, some portions of literature are, of the Bible are written as allegory. Many of us think that, think that portions of, of Genesis, for example, are written as poetry. And of course there are uh, uh, approximations in numbers. All the literary convention, conventions of the time need to be taken seriously. 
Uh, be, uh, the world is sometimes described phenomenologically. The sun goes up. People say, oh, didn't God know that the, the sun doesn't move? Yeah, okay, this isn't written as a, as a science book. If it was, for the last 20 centuries, nobody would have understood it. If it was written in 21st century scientific language, for the last 20 centuries it would have been nonsense to anybody, everybody. And for the next 20 centuries it would look increasingly stupid. It's not written as a 21st century science book. And so there are literary conventions to be observed. But understood carefully, every word is true. And we work hard at translating and interpreting accurately. The great encouragement is that every word of every document is God-breathed. And therefore it must have decisive authority over God's people. We must obey it. As individuals... Part of being a Christian is obedience to the word of God. I've heard some Christian scholars, good guys, uh, recently suggesting that because God in his trinity delights in mutual love and obedience, that therefore our obedience, uh, the Christian life is only one of delight. Well, yes, it is delightful to obey Christ, but actually we're still required to obey. The Bible is explicit that we are to be disciplined by the word of God. Uh, Jesus is quite explicit about it. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. In other words, even if you don't want to, you're still to obey. I don't care if you don't like it. It is how you love Jesus. I mean, it is ridiculous. Isn't it? You know, it's my wedding anniversary today. Don't worry, I took my wife out for dinner last night. But it's my wedding anniversary today, 29 years. Imagine if I said to, to, said to my wife, John, I do love you. I'm just going to ignore everything you say. She would say, well, you don't love me then. Wouldn't she? You can't say to God, I love you, I'm just going to ignore what you say. We have to obey what he says, because he's king, and he's, he's right, and because we love him. As individuals, we obey his word and live by it, and that can be hard. Think of a young gay man in our church who's become a Christian recently, and in order to be obedient to the word of God, he's decided that he will be celibate in his life in order to be obedient to the word of God, and around him, everybody is screaming at him to indulge himself. But like all of us, we'll have to bring our sexual behavior under the rule of the word of God, and that's hard. It's very hard for some of us. But that's what it means to obey. It's how we show God that we love him and that we trust him. And as churches, we must contend for the faith entrusted to us in the Bible, and we must actually live by the Bible even when it's inconvenient and unpopular. Uh, For example, some years ago in our church, we were reading 1 Timothy together, and together as a community, we realized that God was requiring that in the mixed adult congregation that women shouldn't be preaching and leading. We couldn't think of anything more countercultural. And yet, to the great credit of the women of our church, they all encouraged us to live by the word of God. We're not here just to admire the Bible. We're here to live by it. So as individuals and as churches, when we hear the word of God, especially at those points where it clashes with our culture and our personal opinions, we're to let the word of God rule in our lives because it's the word of God. Thirdly and lastly, the Bible is for ministry. That is our sufficiency, verse 17. Do you see what it says in in, uh, verse 16 there? Uh, Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
You see, the Bible is the equipment we need for ministry. And notice these four words. There's, a, there's an ordered sequence to it. There's, there's positives and there's negatives. You see, we have to not only teach what is true, but also correct what is untrue. Because correcting what is untrue locates where the truth ends. Jesus did this. You know, when he said, um, uh, I am the, the true and the living way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everybody loves that. But then he put the negative. No one comes to the Father but by me. And people don't like hearing the negative. Because in our culture, we want to say everything goes. Anything goes. But Jesus is quite plain that there is truth and there is untruth. And so there's firstly teaching. That's Timothy's primary responsibility from 1 Timothy 4, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. And now in chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Because people need instruction in salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So teach it. And then necessarily there's a negative to that, rebuking. Denying the lies of false teachers. In 1 Timothy 1, we know, command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. And part of the ministry at this church and all our churches must be to correct false teaching. And if necessary, to ask people who will not be corrected to leave. And then, of course, there's correcting. The word correcting is is more to do with correcting behavior. We're helping one another as we speak the truth in love. We do need to help one another to be corrected by the word of God, to repent and turn from sin in order to live for him. And fourthly, for for, for correcting and training in righteousness. You see there in verse uh, 16, training in righteousness. We need to be trained, that is positively equipped for lives of righteousness that please God. What is the effect of that, verse 17? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is, every good work that you could want to do for God, the Bible thoroughly equips you for. Isn't that amazing? The Bible thoroughly equips you. The the idea is that of um, equipping a boat with sails and a rudder. You don't need endless sails. You've got enough sails. It's the thorough thorough equipment for a boat. The Bible is the thorough equipment we need for the good works that please God, primarily for the teacher, but for all of us who want to live lives that please God as well. The Bible is everything we need. And therefore, just to mention, therefore, when it comes to guidance... Where do we look for guidance in our daily lives? I once heard an old um, uh, recording of a great preacher called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he basically said, there are four ways, I won't try and emulate his Welsh accent, there are four ways that God guides uh, through reading the Bible, through sanctified common sense, through the godly advice of friends, and through the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. I was listening to that and I thought to myself, you could hear that to think there are four different ways to hear God's guiding voice. But on reflection, what I realized what he was saying was, it's four ways to access the Bible. See, how do you know that the um, sanctified common sense, how do you know it's sanctified common sense and not wicked folly? How do you know the difference between the two? The answer is the Bible tells you. How do you know if it's the godly advice of friends or the ungodly temptation of friends? Answer. The Bible. How do you know it's the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit or the wicked temptations of Satan? How do you tell the difference? Answer. The Bible. Actually, you see, it's four ways of accessing the Bible. You either read it yourself or you work out because you've got godly instincts or a friend will remind you what the Bible says or the Spirit will remind you of what you've read. These are actually different ways to access the Word of God. 
The word of God is the guidance you need for daily decisions. And if you're frustrated in making a decision, I don't know what to do, it could well be that of the thousand pages in the Bible, you've not read many. That's why you need older brothers and sisters. See, that's why you need to ask the older members of your family, especially those who've been trained and should know their Bibles well. Is there anything the Bible says about the boyfriend I want to go out with or the university I'm thinking of, the job I'm thinking of taking? I'm wondering about, does the Bible say anything about that? You'll be amazed what the Bible says. But if you ignore it, then you'll never know. But don't assume because you don't know that therefore God doesn't have any guidance for you. This, this book is a very big, big, rich book with lots to say about daily life. It also means, therefore, in terms of prophecy. Now, of course, we may have uh, different opinions of exactly about how prophecy works today. We may differ, for example, on how spontaneous it needs to be, and there's lots to say about this subject. But we, across our commissioned churches, we do understand that the Bible has everything we need to know from God. And whatever kind of modern gifts of prophecy there are, there'll be different ways of understanding how the Bible speaks today. It is, understanding about, it is about understanding what the Bible says and not listening to pictures and voices and images and things outside the Scriptures. Because the Bible is the sufficient Word of God because Christ is the sufficient Saviour. And therefore, can I encourage you to use the Bible? What is your New Year's resolution? Phil started with that wonderful statement earlier. Get to know God better. Get to know God better. You might ask the question reasonably, well, how? The answer is, read your Bible. Here is a wonderful description from the Old Testament of what the Bible will do for you if you read it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Ever feel weary? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Do you ever feel ignorant? The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Do you ever feel low? The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Ever feel confused? The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Ever feel dirty? The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Do yourself a favor and read the Bible. Read it for yourself. Read it with unbelievers. Read it with other believers and teach it in every area of church life. What is the future of gospel ministry in London? The Lord only knows. But as we look to the future of commission, it's not money or strategy or gifted pastors or buildings or denominations or wonderful music, important and enjoyable though they are. Those things will not empower, they will not direct commission, they will not save a single person or grow anybody in Christ-likeness. But the word of God will do it all. For God says, these are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at my word. Read this book. Shall we pray? Almighty God, we thank you for revealing yourself fully in Christ and for revealing him, your personal word, 
in the pages of your written word, the Bible. And we are so sorry that we've read so little of your word. We are so sorry that we're so casual about neglecting it. And we thank you for the opportunity of being at a church where your word is taught and obeyed. So at the beginning of this year, we pray for Christchurch Mayfair. We pray for all the churches of the Commission Network. We pray for your people far and wide across this city and around the world. That this would be a year when we take your word more seriously than we ever have before. That we would indeed want to know you better this year by reading your word. Please help us to believe that this is the priority in our lives. That this book is the authority for our lives. And this book is the sufficiency for our ministries. Please help us to read, to obey and to live by your word. For we ask it for the glory of Jesus of whom it speaks. Amen.